Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is Brad Kearns. Yeah, so what's happened in the wine business is exactly the same thing that's happened in our food supply. So it's been massive consolidation driven by money, greed, and, uh, and things have not gone well for the wine itself. Alcohol helps create a bolder, bigger, hotter wine that cuts through a dead palate. Here's a quick thank you to our sponsors. They make this show possible and the tremendous production behind it online and in audio. Thank you, wildideabuffalo.com. Grass-fed, locally raised on the Great Plains for the last 130,000 years. Quit eating that junk food feedlot cattle and get some quality meat into your life. And thank you, DNAfit.com. Cutting-edge genetic testing, delivering customized diet and exercise recommendations for your peak performance. Use the discount code GOY30. Get over yourself. Integro Probiotics make this fabulous liquid probiotic high potency. It's called Flourish, so your microbiome can flourish. Gut health is everything. Get started. Visit EntegroHealth.com and Tribali Foods. Pre-made, creatively flavored hamburger and chicken patties. When you're in a rush, drop one down, fry it up. It's delicious. T-R-I-B-A-L-I. And Almost Heaven. That's the name of my sauna. These are beautiful home-use saunas made of real wood, shipped to your door, easy to assemble, and then you are rocking. That's right, I'm going from chest freezer cold therapy into the hot barrel sauna. Check them out at almostheaven.com. And the Primal Blueprint online multimedia educational courses to go primal, go keto, get a stand-up desk going, master the challenge of endurance training, Go to bradkearns.com and click on the links to learn more about these courses. If you're sick of my voice on the podcast, you can now get sick of my face, too, on the videos. And ancestral supplements. This is grass-fed liver, organ meats, and bone marrow delivered in a convenient gelatin capsule. Don't stress about cooking liver anymore. Just pop some pills or throw capsules into a smoothie every day like me. And now on to our show... Greetings, listeners. I'm pleased to plunge deep into the heart of the Napa Valley for this fabulous show with the one-of-a-kind Todd White, the founder of Dry Farm Wines, this incredible company that sources the cleanest, safest, organic, dry-farmed wines from around the world, sugar-free, total keto, primal, paleo-friendly, and their business has exploded uh, thanks to the support of that core community of people that really care about what they consume and the cleanliness of it. And I sat down with Todd to talk about his unique corporate culture and the absolutely amazing community and dynamic workplace that he's created that is practically unrivaled anywhere on the globe. I'd be hard-pressed to find anything like this. It's amazing. And guess what? We didn't even get to it, man. We were both disappointed after. I was like, I couldn't help it, dude. I was so fascinated by the introductory discussion about wine that we kept on that theme for the whole show. And I don't even drink wine. 
I don't drink any alcohol. I'm not a big fan of alcohol in modern society because it's so easily and commonly abused. Uh, but Todd got going on this thing, and it was so interesting and fascinating just to understand what kind of crap junk food is out there in the mainstream wine industry. We're talking about a chemically laden overly processed, full of additives and chemicals. Uh, the FDA has approved something, 74 chemicals for inclusion in wine. They get that crap off the labels with heavy, intense lobbying. And even the fancy labels and the high prices, which makes no sense to me, being not a wine drinker and not familiar with anything, uh, we're finally on this show exposing it as complete garbage. It's just a complete marketing story and has nothing to do with the, uh, the health quality of the wine. So this dry farm operation I think is going to fascinate you about what they do and what lengths they go to, what extent they go to, to find actually naturally farmed grapes without water. That's right. None of the vineyards that they use, none of the wines that they distribute are watered. They're all pulling the uh, hydration naturally from the earth, but creating a much more robust grape. And now listen to me, I'm starting to talk like a wine drinker. And you'll hear during the show, Todd drop in these references like, you'll see tonight when you drink our our red wines from Sicily, Greece, and Italy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm usually the designated driver, have been so for, let's see, 30 plus years <laughs> since my start of drinking age. Uh, but he got me going, man, and he poured some wine at this fabulous celebratory dinner that they have routinely with the workplace team at Dry Farm Wines and everyone that they do business with. And boy, you know what? This stuff actually tasted great. It enhanced the quality of the meal, the celebratory aspect of the meal. Yes, I got a little buzz for the first time in a long time. And like Todd explains in the show, it just loosen, loosens up social boundaries, but you don't get all the negative aspects of what we consider uh, routinely to be uh, drinking alcohol. When in fact, a lot of those negative aspects are from the chemicals and the additives and the preservatives that cause liver toxicity and interfere with healthy heart rate and rest respiration and brain function and all those things. So it was an eye-opener for me to realize that uh, drinking wine can be enjoyable and without the adverse health effects. So guess what? You're going to listen to a show with a complete novice about wine and one of the world's leading experts on the very cutting edge of living a healthy lifestyle. And if you think this guy has high energy, he is the keto king. He's been hardcore keto for a few years straight now. He eats once per day at these lavish dinner celebrations. So he basically fasts 24 hours every single day. And oh my gosh, their workplace, just a little hint because we're going to do a whole nother show on what goes on there. But these guys start work at 10 a.m. and the first hour of work is meditation, group meditation. No phones ringing, nothing. They get to work and they start rolling at 11 a.m. and they are done sharply at 5 p.m. No after work emails or taking stuff home with you allowed. So they have created the most amazing sense of teamwork and community and they very commonly will convene at nearby dinner spots. And we're talking about Napa Valley, some of the finest restaurants on the planet. And they bring their own wines in and they bring their own primal kitchen salad dressing, mayonnaise and olive oil transported directly from Italy with a bottle that says not for sale and pouring this stuff onto the entrees. We had a fabulous meal, a great celebration, and I think you'll really get a kick out of Todd White, whether you drink or not. So enjoy the show. 
Todd White, Dry Farm Wines. I'm on location at the legendary Dry Farm Wines. I'm so glad to be here in Napa, California, the wine capital of the world or wine capital of America. Well, it's, I would call it the wine capital of America. It's the most important ap- wine appellation in, in North America. I don't know if I call it the capital of the world, but but uh, a lot of I stuff think, going I think on. Napa here. people think it is. Yeah, I love living here. It's a wonderful place to live. The weather's incredible. It's the topography is amazing. It's one of the most beautiful places in, in the United States for sure. How long have you been here? Twenty years. Oh, really? And in the wine business the whole time? Uh, no. I didn't really get in the wine business until late 2015, but it had nothing to do with Napa Valley. It was uh, European wines. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about what all that's about, but um, there are no wines made in the United States that meet our health criteria. And so, um, but I did once make wine in Napa Valley, uh, but I call it more of a hobby project, something I lost money on. Uh Uh-huh. And nothing ruins my day like losing money. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so I had a hobby project here for a couple of years, just making wine in Napa, but that was in 2005, so it's been quite some time ago. Uh, so Dry Farm Wines is a pretty new operation and dedicated to, like you hinted here, we're talking about this an, another standard of clean, organic, chemical-free, pesticide-free. Tell me also about the wine industry as a whole, because I, I wasn't even aware of what kind of crap is out there and what kind of processing is involved when you're looking at a bottle of wine versus what you guys are doing and the people that you're working with. Yeah, so what's happened in the wine business is exactly the same thing that's happened in our food supply. So there's been massive consolidation driven by money and greed, and uh, and things have not gone well for the wine itself. <laughs> sort and, of like for the cows. It hasn't gone well to well, be the feedlot. It hasn't gone line. well for the, for the vines either. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same scenario. Uh, this is a global problem. It's not just in the U.S., but... Certainly, the U.S. leads in its greed and and uh, and this kind of pursuit of more profits, and so what that results in is a more processed product, and uh, and the wine industry has again. This is a global problem, not just to pick on America, but certainly we're the leaders, and certainly we started it, right? And so there's some dirty, dark secrets in the wine business, and the primary one is that there are. 76 additives approved for the use in winemaking in the United States. These are additives approved by the FDA. Now, you and your audience don't know about these 76 additives because the wine industry has been very successful in spending tens of millions of dollars paying politicians in the way of lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine bottles. Oh, so that's right. We don't see the you don't know what nutrition in it. facts on a wine label. Well, not only the nutrition facts or the ingredients either. And the reason they don't want the contents label, and wine is the only major food group without a contents label. And the reason they don't want a contents label on it is because if it had a contents label on it, it would look like just like the rest of processed foods that you eat or don't eat, but you look at the labels. It looks like just like the rest of processed food labels that have a whole string of chemicals that you couldn't pronounce and had no idea what they were. And the wine industry doesn't want you to know that these additives are in these products. And so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, and some pretty nasty characters, uh, 
you know, ammonia phosphate, copper sulfate, sulfur dioxide, um, some pretty nasty chemicals used for defoaming. Mm -hmm. So what defoaming agents do is that when you move wine from one tank to the other, it foams up. And so in the old days, they just wait for the foam to subside. It's kind of like, it's kind of like pouring champagne in a glass, right? It foams. You wait a moment, you put some more in. What's happening in wineries now is that when they move it over, pump it over from tank to tank, it foams and then they spray it with a defoaming agent to kill the foam. It just goes away immediately. Just, just to save time? Yeah, just to, well, save time and less work. <laughs> so less work, less time means more profit. And so there's a whole bunch of these things that are happening in commercial wines that, as an example, well, let's back up for a second. So what we drink and sell uh, and what health leaders like Mark Sisson and all the rest of the forward-looking health leaders recommend are our wines because our wines are 100% natural made. So not only are they farmed chemically free, so they're all organic or biodynamic. And biodynamic is a prescriptive form of organic farming. So not only are they organically or biodynamically farmed, they're also dry farm, which means they have no irrigation, right? Nearly 100%, more than 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. And why does that have any health impact to be irrigated versus non-irrigated? It has a number of important implications. Uh Uh, From a health perspective, an irrigated grapevine, and this is all common sense, It's also everything I will tell you about the wine industry, the 76 additives, the irrigation facts, the consolidation. um, All of this is available online. I mean, you can just search FDA wine additives. It's not Todd's opinion. No, it's it's not my opinion. This is statistical fact. Right, and so these none of these are opinions of mine. These are these are all easily verifiable with a simple Google search on any topic I'm going to tell you about. But irrigation. From a health point of view, there are really two problems. The health of the human. We can talk about the health of the vine in a moment. But the health of the human, there are two problems with irrigation. Number one, polyphenols, or the important compounds that that are primarily contained in red wines that, that communicate part of the health value of drinking wine, there are a, over 800 polyphenols in red wine. There are a couple of hundred in white wine. Mm-hmm. They're much more pronounced in red wines because most of the polyphenols uh, come from contact with the skin and the seeds of the grape. White wines do not see skin contact. Mm. White wines are made from free-run juice. Mm. Red wine gets its color and the additional polyphenols from skin contact. So if you squeeze the juice of a red wine grape and the juice of a white wine grape, they're both clear. Red wine gets its color by then taking the pressed juice and putting it in a tank with the skins in a process called maceration. That's where red wine gets its color. That's also where it gets the additional polyphenols, Mm -hmm. which are in the skin. Back to the polyphenols and the irrigation. When you fill a grape berry with water, it... uh, it compromises the quality and the amount of polyphenols in the grape. Mm. In addition to the health of the vine, the vine doesn't produce as high a quality 
of character in fruit or as high quality of polyphenols when it's irrigated. So it's a proven it's a it's a proven fact that irrigated fruit contains lower quality polyphenols. The second problem with irrigation in human health is that you end up with higher alcohol. Here's why. When you fill the grape berry with water, and I'll tell you why you do that, it might not surprise you, it's about money. And America's the leader in irrigation on grapevines. And in fact, in most of Europe, where our wines come from, it's against the law to irrigate a grapevine. I'll tell you why you irrigate in a moment, but back to the back to the, the higher alcohol from irrigation and also from winemaking style, which I'll touch on that in a moment. But when you fill a grape berry with water, you dilute the character of the fruit because it's water-filled, mm. right? So what happens is the sugar must get higher in the fruit before it can be picked in order to develop proper flavor. So you can't pick it as early so because it's filled with water. You need higher sugar in the fruit to get proper flavor. Well, the problem with higher sugar in the fruit is that the higher the sugar is in the juice, the higher the corresponding alcohol will be in the wine. And I'll tell you why, because this is how wine is made. Wine juice, which is filled with sugar, comes in contact with yeast, and there are a couple of different ways that can happen. We may have time to talk about that, but yeast meets the sugar. The yeast eats the sugar during fermentation, and when, if it's allowed to fully ferment, all the yeast, the yeast eats all the sugar. The yeast will then die. The wine is fully fermented. But here's the problem. The higher the sugar, the more sugar there is for the yeast to eat. And when the yeast eats the sugar, the byproduct of that is carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. So the more sugar there is to eat, the higher the alcohol is in the wine. Mm -hmm. That's a fermentation issue. But also there's the winemaking style in the United States and around the world, but particularly here, is to create higher alcohol wines. So why? Well, there are two For reasons. For fun? Well, there are two reasons. Get people to make looser purchasing budget decisions? There, there are wine? two reasons. There are two reasons. One, alcohol is addictive. Oh. And so the industry likes to see you addicted to alcohol. Number number two better be good, man, because no, no, I don't like number one too well. well. Number two okay. is has more to do with the American and, and now global palate. Oh. Americans need, because their, their palate has been deadened from processed food and overdoses of sugar, so the palate is dead, right? The palate doesn't taste anymore. It's just, and so alcohol helps create a bolder, bigger, hotter wine that cuts through a dead palate, right? There's our quote uh, for the show right there. That's, the dead palate. Incredible. Yeah. Right? And so, so the higher the alcohol in a wine, the more body the wine has. It, alcohol also translates as sweet in a way. And so the American palate just needs this, just needs this kind of boldness, this richness, really, to, which is the reason you'll hear, hear people say, I like my big, bold reds, mm. right? Like mm. Cabernet. Mm. Right, and it's like these are—they're just super as a winemaking style. Higher alcohol, bigger, bolder, richer. This is what it takes to appeal to the dead palate. Right now, when you eat clean, 
Your palate is sensitive. Your, your body is sensitive. I love the proverb, to feel is to understand. Right? So when you eat clean, you want cleaner wines. That's the reason our wines have been so popular with you know, people like the audience for Mark's Daily Apple or for all of the health leaders who endorse our, our, our products and our lab testing, which we haven't talked about. But you know, the, reason that, the reason that these customers, the, our customers, and the reason our business has grown so fast in this audience is because we want nuance in food. We want nuance in flavor. We want cleaner tasting food and cleaner tasting beverages. Right. And so when our audience tastes these wines, which are super clean and fresh and light and nuanced and elegant, it's not like a fruit bomb of high alcohol. Right. And they're delighted to be able to return to something they thought actually that these commercial wines that they were drinking, that they buy in their grocery store for at the wine shop. They thought that's what wine tastes like. They didn't know what real wine tastes like. They never tasted it before. Right, and they just so, think they're getting more and more sophisticated as they get the bigger and bolder wines. Right, when in fact those are just altered wine products. They're not real wine. They're just they're <sighs> they're altered. They have additives and chemicals in them. They, are some of these additives for flavoring to have that oaky whatever the the thing they're going for? Yeah, of course, of course. And then they're color agents. So Americans perceive that the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. <laughs> Right, so that this is like a fast food story, man. This is processed food. Yeah, you you know the book Fast Food Food Nation, where they the hamburgers are so tasteless by the time they finish to the to the consumer at McDonald's that they put hamburger tasting chemicals onto the patty so that it tastes like meat. Well, I mean, they do the same thing in butter as well. (sighs) So butter actually has it's an it's a natural flavoring, but. But uh, and and also the, the the additive in butter that creates its buttery flavor is not required to be disclosed on the butter label, by the way, because it's natural and buttery. Oh, right, right, right. Exactly. Just like the wine. Exactly. Exactly. It's okay. actually it's a it's a naturally attributed chemical, but it's not. It's just another kind of thing. Like the butter thing is just another crazy area of of uh, of collusion between the the dairy industry and the government same thing with mm. the wine industry and the government in a couple of key areas of conclusion of collusion one is the label mm. right the other is alcohol stated on a wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate oh okay what, so the guess or uh, well, no <laughs> well there's a reason for it that turns the clock back to prohibition mm. there's a reason back in the old days you know, in the in the 1940s and even 50s, and probably 60s, um, the alcohol testing protocol was not accurate from lab to lab. So you could have variance in the amount of so so they gave the industry a percentage and a half variance mm-hmm. on what was stated versus what is actual. This goes back 50 years or more. Right today, alcohol testing protocols and labs are exact and perfect from lab to lab, but the alcohol industry doesn't want to change it because oh. they can put fourteen percent on the bottle, but it could be as high as fifteen and a half percent. And we're anti-alcohol, which is a very people find when I speak publicly, I see it in their face, but you know, in podcasts, they're also very surprised to hear the wine guy say that alcohol is toxic, dangerous, and a very lethal drug, 
right? And so we have to be very, very careful with alcohol. And so we think alcohol is a very, very big deal. So we don't drink or sell anything over 12.5%. And it's also one of the lab tests we do because it's not required to be accurate on the label. You do it yourself. We, we do independent lab testing on every wine we sell. So this is, we'll get to this testing now because we're here. Yeah, we're uh, here. Which is the biggest deal because this is where you distinguish yourself from other wine distributors is you're having these exacting standards that you're, you're voluntarily doing this independent from the wine provider. We are. So we use a certified enologist here in, in Napa. We have one in Italy and one in France who does independent lab testing for us on a whole series of tests looking for all kinds of toxins and chemicals and also sugar mm. and uh, and alcohol. So sugar is a because I'm ketogenic and we're anti-sugar and we live a sugar-free lifestyle. Um, sugar is a really, really important thing for us. Sugar can hide in wine and you can't even taste it. Even mm. as professionals, we can't taste sugar at low levels because it hides in acidity. So if the acid is high enough, Mm. You can't taste the you can't taste the sugar. So the only way we can confirm that the wine is sugar free is to lab test it. Sugars in wine categorically can range from zero grams to as high as three hundred grams per liter. Oh come on, Coca Cola. And to you- give you a to give you a reference point, Coca Cola is one hundred and eight grams per liter. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about these super high sugared wines, uh, we're not. I mean- uh, 300 grams per liter. Right. What's, but, a, what's a wine bottle? A wine bottle is 750 milliliters. So a and bottle a, and a quarter of yeah, wine. Right, right. So a liter is 300 about, grams of sugar. Yeah, but I don't want to mislead anybody on this. The 300 gram thing is for like ice wines or dessert wines or like wines that are intentionally very, very, very sweet. Hangover wines. Yeah, well, for commercial wines... For commercial wines that you see in your store, they're going to generally range from seven or eight to maybe as much as fifty grams per liter. But we don't know. You well, and you we don't can't, know. Can't hardly taste. You don't know because it's just like in Coke. So in Coca Cola, you've got about thirty-two grams in a can of Coke. Well, if you were to drink uh, twelve ounces of liquid. 12 ounces of water with 32 grams of sugar in it, you could barely put it down. It'd be so strickening sweet. But what happens is there's ascorbic acid and other acids that allow them to put this high degree of addictive sugar into the can, right? But then they suppress the sweetness with acid. Just like in a lemonade. If you make lemonade and you put a little Mm. sugar in it, it's going to continue to be sour. Mm. You have to put a lot of sugar in it before it starts to taste sweet, Mm -hmm. right? Because the acid covers the sugar. Well, the same thing happens in wine. And here's how wine, here's how sugars get in wine. Remember earlier we talked about the fermentation process where the yeast eats the sugar. And in our wines, if the yeast is allowed to eat all of the sugar, it's fully fermented, the yeast will die. What's happening in commercial wines is that the the winemaker is pouring sulfur dioxide in the wine to kill the yeast prior to a complete fermentation. And they do that to leave sugar behind. Sugar also gives wine mouthfeel, and sugar also gives wine, you know, viscosity in the mouth. So it, you know, it gives us this mouthfeel. And you know when you get that long finish in a wine? Oh, that beautiful, long, caramelly finish? That's sugar. Mm-hmm. Right, and so 
you'll notice when you drink our wines, and I expect that we'll drink some tonight, uh, that you don't have any of this long finish. It's very, it just evaporates. It's just gone because there's no sugar in it. And it's, it's very sheer and clean. And our audience of clean eaters appreciate this taste. What about an average wine connoisseur who might not have any dietary consciousness, just an ordinary restaurant critic or something? Are they going to notice a distinct difference between a, a, a cleanly produced wine without the oh, chemicals, additives, and sugars? For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And, and, and most of them will not care for our wines. Oh, wow. Because right. they it's, don't it's have like eating this, a they, bland food if you're a sugar freak. It's the difference yeah. between, you know, oh, it's the difference man, between, it'd be the difference between drinking, you know, uh, a regular soda or, you know, one of these uh, lightly fruit enhanced waters. You know, the, I don't know what they call them, but right. you, you know what I'm talking about. They have like just an essence of fruit in yeah. them, but they're sugar free. Yeah. You can just taste an essence of fruit. I forget the brand name, but they're quite delicious. They don't have any carbohydrate, no sugar. They've just got a hint of natural fruit flavoring without enough to impart any sugar. And it's actually clean water. Well, your cola drinker won't like that, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't give them enough body. It doesn't give them enough communication. Again, remember, we're talking about the difference between a clean palate, a palate that's alive, a palate that's that 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 tastes and 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 can feel, right? Versus a palate that's been killed and deadened mm -hmm. by years of abuse from processed food and sugar and. And, you know, it takes so much to get that palate alive, you know, because it's been killed. It's the dead palate. Right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So people just don't think about this. And for, you know, even people who are clean eaters don't think about the dead palate of their, of their, of their peers. You know, they just don't think about it because it's, you can, we're in the taste business. You know, I mean, we think about and talk about and investigate these issues and try and figure out why people, you know, why people do one thing or another. It's just, you know, for me, you know, if you go into a, a break room at an office, the only thing you'll find here is, you know, is coconut oil and MCT and, and coffee. Um, you know, you, you, if you go, you know, if you're in the typical break room, you'll find, you know, cakes and donuts and constantly. I mean, it's impossible to work in these places for people who want to live a healthy lifestyle. It's hard to go in these things and not want to just pinch something off, right? And But the palate of the average American is so dead and it's been so weighted down, you know, by processed foods and, and unhealthy fats and particularly sugar, right? So it's just, they just, they're just, they're just, you know, they're going through the motions. Hey ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. 
you will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find you're going through the motions of eating without really knowing what real food tastes like without knowing what the nuance the elegance of just something really fresh because they can't taste it but in the wine scene, they think they are these highly sophisticated connoisseurs. I mean, that's all you hear about and read the, you know, the, the, the articles. And uh, these are people who are, I, I guess, kind of trafficking Yeah, but these sugar. are not people who are following Mark's Daily Apple. Right. These are not people who are following uh, a low-carb lifestyle. These are not people who are following. These are all people who are typically unhealthy. Then they're going to go talk about the various tastes of fudge at the fudge place where they like the mint and chip better than the caramel swirl exactly. and the marshmallow topping is exactly. the best. Yeah. Oh, the most influential. I mean, I'll give you how all this happened in wine. I mean, look, 70 years ago, 
all wines were natural. All oh, wines wow. tasted like what we sell in America too. Yes, seventy this, years ago. We, oh we have, yeah, this is this has been a fifty-year problem. This has happened over the last five decades, and I there's mean, one perpetrator who helped create most of it. Oh boy, let's a wine a critic. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, the most influential wine critic of the century, who today weighs about three hundred pounds. He's on two canes and he's a type two diabetic. And so he started to push for the boulder. He, he had a sweet palate. Oh. He drank Coca-Cola all day long. And, uh, and he had a super heavy, sweet palate. He's always been obesely overweight and unhealthy. He's now critically unhealthy. But he's the one who started it all. He was the most influential wine critic. And so what happened was he's the one who invented the 100-point rating system. This wine gets 95 points. This wine gets 93 points. This is a 100 perfect wine. He's the guy who created that. Now, many other critics have followed the 100-point system, but he actually, he actually started it. And because people, it was very confusing for consumers, they would go into a wine shop, and there'd be hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of wines right, to choose from, and they don't have any idea what to buy. And they're all different prices and categories and varietals and domains and national and domestic and international and, you know, this appellation and that appellation. They have no idea what to buy. Mm -hmm. And there's no, no such thing in most wine sh shops as taste before you buy, right? So you, mm -hmm. end up, you end up buying a full bottle. You get home. You don't like it. It's not good quality. So, so the wine critic emerged as a very important character in the wine business some 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. So what happened after that, it, and this one wine critic who is the most famous in the world, who created all this, got rich doing it, right? And so is he on the dartboard in the, in the lobby that I saw? No, no, uh, no, but he's around. Uh, but we, uh, so um, uh, he hates natural wines, by the way. <laughs> he's written extensively about what a fraud natural wines oh. are. Right. And uh, so anyway, but 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 so he created the system. What happened next was consumers started buying based on this rating system, this arbitrary ratings that he would give wines. And he liked these big, high alcohol, juicy, fruity wines. So what happened next is that the wine industry, particularly the premium wine industry, started making wines that would appeal to his palate to get his high ratings. Right. And this add a is what more sugar kill a little more yeast. Right, right. So this is what happened. This is this is how it became mainly in driving alcohol levels up. I wonder so, if that guy's friends with Ansel Keys, the guy that yeah, 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 did all the legislation did, did, to push us from butter to margarine. Exactly. They're exactly. pals. They, they should be pals. Yeah, yeah, they have a similar you know, Ansel Keys had an arrogance and was very this guy's the same deal. Yeah. Super arrogant, super confrontational. You know, super, uh, just super nasty character in terms of how he takes on his adversary. Same thing Ansel Keys did. Yeah. Right? Kind of yeah. bullied his way into, into this story on fat, you know, in the seven country study, which actually we forgot to mention there were 22 studies yeah. in the seven country yeah. study. Yeah. It's just that we selected the seven that met his hypothesis. Right. right. It's just a funny thing about science occasionally, occasionally, the hypothesis, the elegant hypothesis, comes in contact with a nasty fact, right? Then what? Then what? So uh, anyway, that's what happened to Ansel. Of course, he died before the nasty facts came to light. Yeah. 
So uh, maybe we're, we're cleaning up the mess. Still, clean, we're still cleaning yeah. it up. It just, yeah. it's and that take bully, it. that bullying aggressive approach still works thanks to it, social media and you know. Well, you can see it's it's alive and well in the White House. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's still working quite well. Yeah. It's effective. It is very effective. People pay attention and they get they get bowled over and the guy seems, you know, passionate or whatever and here we are. So wow, that's a that's an awakening for sure. And you said that there are zero approved wineries in the USA, so you're entirely dealing with outside L- the- Natural wines are a very specific farming and winemaking protocol. There are only a few hundred farmers, less than 500 in the world, that produce natural wine. There are hundreds of thousands of wine in the world. Hundreds of thousands of wineries, small and large. And there's only a few hundred that are... Less than 500 uh, who make natural wines. There are about 20 in the United States. uh Here's the difference. The natural wineries in the United States... None of them meet our strict health criteria. So not only are our wines natural, but we take it a couple of steps beyond that, including lab testing, including irrigation. So, so when they say natural, they're they, not irrigated and they're not... No, 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 no. Uh, well, what's, no. Their, what's their definition? Irrig- so the definition of a natural wine, not our definition, but the definition of a natural wine is organic or biodynamic farming, they may or may not be irrigated. Ours are not. We'll get back to that in a moment. We'll just talk about what natural wines are. Natural wines are organic biodynamic farming, native yeast fermentation, mm. and no additives and no subtractions. That that would and and sulfur and and sulfites less than seventy five parts per million. That's the kind of the international standard for natural wine. Mm-hmm. The reason that sulfites are allowed to be as high as 75 parts per million is because sulfites are naturally occurring in the fermentation process and can be as high as 75 parts Mm -hmm. per million naturally. Mm -hmm. Now, in commercial wines, the U.S. limit on sulfur is 17,000. No, it's 350 (laughs) 350 parts per million. So that's a lot of thrown in. And those are all added. Yeah. And, and, and at that level, you're killing and sterilizing the wine and what we call the death of wine. And what's it doing to the body when you're ingesting these sulfites? Uh, there's no, we, we don't, some people have allergies to mm-hmm. them, but, but uh, we, don't, we don't really know what it does to, there, there's no real research. What we do know is that it sterilizes and kills the wine. It also kills active bacteria that are, that are friendly and positive mm. for the gut biome. Mm-hmm. It also it, it kills the wine. What what this high do, dose dose of sulfur dioxide does is sterilize the wine and make it. It not only mummifies, it not only kills the wine, it also McDonaldizes it, mm-hmm. right? So it creates this consistent shelf product that the consumer is going to come back to two time and time again because it always tastes the same because it's been killed. Natural wines are not like that. They're alive. They're robust with flavors and soul and light and energy in the wine, right? And so... And, because and probiotics it's, And probiotics yeah. and, and gut-friendly bacteria because it's not been sterilized and killed. It's not, it's not been mummified. It's probably a nice source. It's fermented product, just like it's, uh, kombucha and so forth, so that's, until you kill it. Until you kill it, right? And so that's, that's the reason the natural wine, another reason why natural wines are so much healthier for you. Dr. David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and uh, has endorses our wines and has talked a lot 
on videos and also um, blogs about these living bacterias inside natural wines that haven't been killed that are very friendly mm. to the gut biome mm. and consequently the brain. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so, but back to the U.S. natural winemakers, here's the problem with them. Uh, they can contain sugar because sugar-free is not a natural wine protocol. Mm, mm. So they could contain sugars if they have a broken fermentation and, and, and they don't, don't complete fermentation. So they wouldn't kill the fermentation, but it could break naturally. Mm. So uh, we test natural wines all the time that contain sugar, right? And so not, not at the high levels of a commercial, sure. but it would contain two, three, four, five grams of sugar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it could contain sugar. They are generally irrigated in the United States because less than 1% of U.S. vineyards are, are, are dry farmed, whether they're naturally produced or not. Right. So, and we don't allow irrigation on, on vines. Uh, number three is alcohol levels. So in order to appeal to the, to the, this is the primary problem, along with irrigation, and irrigation drives alcohol levels, is that most Americans won't buy a low-alcohol wine, right, because of the way it tastes, because it's not bold enough, not rich enough, not big enough. So for the natural— those, Do those go together, alcohol, sugar, alcohol, sugar? Yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure, okay. for sure, So and irrigation. So when you say low-alcohol, so you mean low-sugar. When you say— Higher alcohol, it's also higher sugar. It can yeah. be that they don't. It's not. They're not necessarily correlated. Okay. Sugar gets in the wine either as a winemaking style, mm. right, to cut through to the dead mm. palate, mm -hmm. or um, or it could be a broken fermentation. If it's a natural wine, the fermentation could break naturally at the end, and the yeast just doesn't finish its job, and there's a little bit of sugar left behind. So, if you want to get uh, dry farm qualification. And you're breaking naturally. Can you fix that, or is this sort of a something that just happens? Like, can, can I get my sugar you could down attempt to zero? To re, you could attempt to restart the fermentation. That's generally not done, but you oh. could attempt that. Generally, in a natural wine, and 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 in many red wines in general, whether it's natural or not, in fairness, many are fully fermented and dry and low and very low in sugar or sugar free, even if it's not natural. Mm -hmm. But what I'm telling you is the only way you're going to know if a wine is sugar free categorically is to lab test it, mm -hmm. which we do. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So f the reason no U.S. natural wines meet our criteria is alcohol and irrigation are the two primary reasons. So are people uh, knocking on your door begging to be, uh, begging to achieve that qualification and trying to modify their, I guess irrigation is, Irrigation. Once you irrigate a vineyard, you can't go back to dry farm. <laughs> so if you if you begin irrigation, so here's the problem with the irrigated grapevine. Here's what's wrong and unhealthy for the plant and unhealthy for the character of the fruit and why it's illegal in Europe. Europeans have been making wine over 3,000 years. Wine's been being drank for almost 9,000 years. Europeans have been making wine over 3,000 years. Right. Europeans know what we know. The moment you irrigate a grapevine, you dramatically impact the quality of the fruit. And common sense will tell you this, and I didn't get around to t mentioning this, why you do irrigate a grapevine. You irrigate oh. a grapevine because of money. The fruit weighs more when it's filled with water. Oh. The yield is higher on an irrigated sure. grapevine. Water and, anything. Yeah, and, and you yeah. water anything, you get a higher yield, and the fruit weighs more, and the fruit's sold by the ton. That's why you irrigate <sighs> Right, and is so, it also a climate thing? Like you couldn't you couldn't make wine in absolutely a certain area? not wine. Oh. 
Irrigation on grapevines did not come to the United States until 1973. Prior to that, all U.S. vineyards were dry farmed. So it's, it's a pure money deal. It's a pure money deal. Uh, we, we sell wines from some of the hottest places on earth. Uh, Greece, uh, Sicily, um, uh, Sardinia. If right. they have a, a seven-year drought, like we've experienced I don't know if you've ever been times. to Sardinia or Sicily, but I've it's eaten pretty sardines, damn but hot. I've never been to Sardinia. Right, right. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty hot, right? So, so even on a drought period, like the Napa Valley experienced a horrible drought in, in recent times. Well, drought, drought. Uh, are well, those wines going to survive? In many Graves? hot... Re- well, here's the reason they survive and the reason they won't survive, why you can't take them off of irrigation. It's real simple. This is All of this is common sense, right? So... An unirrigated, an irrigated grapevine has a root structure that's about two or three feet wide and about three or four feet deep because it gets all of its water and its nutrient vis-a-vis liquid nitrogen in the water. It gets all of its water and nutrient from this tiny little hose that you will see on any grape. You you when you drive to your hotel, you look at any vineyard along the way, and a hundred percent of the ones you see will have a black hose mm-hmm. right on right on the trunk of the right on the trunk of the vine. A hundred percent of them. It's got a little tube that drips water down to the grapevine right there at the trunk of the vine. So the roots are actually looking upward for their water and nutrition, so they don't go very deep. An unirrigated grapevine. A native natural grapevine can have a root structure that spans 40 or 50 feet deep oh. because these tiny little capillaries every day are searching for, for tiny fragments of water and nutrient, minerals, right? And, and they're, they're, they're also struggling against the earth as they search. And there's these tiny little hair-sized capillaries breaking tiny pieces of mineral and earth apart in search for both nutrient in the way of minerals and also water. And so not only are they struggling against the earth, but they're struggling against their neighbor. This is the reason grapevines are planted next to each other so closely, because they want the, the vines to struggle. That mm. struggle creates a higher character mm. of fruit. Mm-hmm. And so this struggle with the earth and, and, the, and the vine wants to find these nutrients and create this better quality of fruit. Because, see, the, the, the vine is not trying to make wine. The vine's trying to propagate. <laughs> this is nature's path. The vine is trying to create with nature, struggling to find these nutrients, these beautiful minerals. The, 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 the vine is trying to create the very best quality fruit that it can create, so it will be the berries that the birds eat to carry the seed. That's the job of the grapevine. See, the irrigated grapevine is super lazy. This is a direct parallel to the antioxidant content as well. Yeah, same when you're, when you're spraying same. the... Most people are familiar. You spray the chemicals onto the, the, the strawberry so it doesn't have to work hard. Right. And it just lives without the pesticides. But if it's natural, it has to produce antioxidants to, to protect itself. To protect itself. Right. Same thing in the grape, and same thing with, with. Uh, look, nature has this beautiful, beautiful logic. 
right? And and irrigation is the first intervention into nature's logic. It's messing with nature, man. Yeah, there's just no reason to, right? Oh, it's the I, same. I'm, I didn't know that. I thought right. it was a climate thing right. where you wanted to optimize the water level or right. whatever, but that's crazy. What, right. what an so, expense and a waste of water and all that. Well, it is a huge waste of water, but more importantly, it's it's it's... It it fundamentally affects the physiology of the health of the of the of the vine and how the vine communicates with its neighbors. The the plants communicate through their root structure. This this also interferes with their communication because their roots are all right here where the water source mm-hmm. is, right? They're not struggling and communicating mm-hmm. with each other in the same way. I mean, this is all nature. This is like everything is tied together, which is also the reason one of the reasons that. You know, monoculture farming has been so damaging to our health, right? Because when you go on these natural farms that we tour constantly and all these small, tiny family farms that we work with in Europe, where the natural wine revolution began and is, and is, is where it's the most important in the world is in certain parts of Europe where we get our wines from. When you go to these small family farms, and you can't make wine, natural wines, in very large quantities, because once you get to a very large quantity, you need to start using these chemicals and adjustments and additives. We go to these small family farms where everybody in the family generally works on the farm, mm. right? It's and France, Italy, Greece, Sicily, Sardinia. All That's over right. Europe. You, just, you, you guys are on a mission. You tell me you travel to Europe a lot because you're, all the you're time. finding these... All, all the time. These precious the gems, uh, these diamonds out there. And right, these wherever. people can't bring their wines here. Right. They're too small. <laughs> right, we have to go they, find them. They don't have a computer. Right, but, yeah. but, but they're, they're terrible with email. Most of them we have to communicate <laughs> by telephone because they yeah. won't answer an email because oh, they're, working, out, um, they're right. working on the farm. Oh, that's precious, though. Right. What a story to tell, too. Yeah. And so the, the, these, they're producing wines that they want to drink. They're producing wines that that re- that reflect their stewardship of multi generational land ownership, right? And so, there, you know, this the these farms. What I was going to mention is that there's a significant, a very significant um, focus and obsession with biodiversity on the farm, you know, with with uh, polycultural farming. So they generally have some kind of livestock or animals they have bees they have uh they have th- there's a an obsession with insects they want insects in the vineyard right they 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 do not till they don't they don't they do not plow in most cases because they don't want to when you turn over that topsoil or just above the topsoil is actually a layer called mulch when you turn over that and expose it to the sun. You kill all of those living organisms that are that are thriving beyond mm. below the ground. They want to see insects in the vineyard, right? Because this is what this is life in a vineyard. This is what brings. This is a natural way of farming, right? We want to use insects to protect the vines, not to kill them. So what's happening in in monocultural farming is you just go in and kill everything, right? And and so when you I'll show you a picture, or you can see it on our, our website or videos. I'll show you a picture of a naturally farmed vineyard. Everything on the surface of the vineyard is green. There are weeds and grasses and herbs and flowers. Everything is green, right? The whole thing is green. I'll show you a picture in a moment. 
I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash brad or use the code brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash brad. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, 
first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit Mito Red Light, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. When you drive to your hotel and you drive through these monocultured farmed vineyards here or anywhere around the world or in the United States, you're going to look across. You're not going to see anything green. You're they going to see perfect. something. You're going to see something that looks like the surface of the moon. But they look so pretty, Todd. The perfect rows. And yeah, the, but there's it, not, it, a, it, not a single weed anywhere to be found. That's not natural. That's not how the. Are, that you, are you ripping on golf courses now too, man? I mean, dude, I'm just telling you. Golf courses, they aren't natural either. I, I guess. Yeah. No, you don't have perfect grass like that, not without it's, the use of chemicals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. So, I mean, it's just all of these things are tied. Nat- nature is tied together. Nature knows, right? And so I we don't want to play a round of golf on a great course and drink a big, bold, strong red wine after. And as get, you should. Get a hangover the next day as and you go back. As you wow, should. that's that's. Anyway, that's. Yeah. We could talk for hours. We'll, so we'll send some maybe. links to these pictures of looking what a, yeah. what a real vineyard looks like, a true I would, vineyard. I would give yeah. you a picture of what, yeah. what a naturally farmed vineyard looks like. Okay. And it's beautifully green and lush, and there's grass and weeds growing right up against the trunk of the, right up against the, trunk of the, of, of the grape. I mean, the, the yeah. grape and the grasses, are in, they're in struggle with each other to, to get nutrient right there at the surface. I mean, it's, although the grapevine, remember, and this is another interesting fact, the average age of a grapevine in California is 15 and a half years. Hmm. Because as the, as the vine ages, the yield decreases. The average age of a vine that we buy from is nearly 70 years, and some of them are as old as 100 or more. I'd, we don't buy many under 35 years old. See, the natural farmer wants the older vine because it produces a much more sophisticated character of fruit, but not as much fruit. So the yield is very low, but the quality of the fruit is very high, right? And so so, the next question would be, it it sounds like these lack of efficiencies and optimizing chemicals to produce more wine, are the wines going to be vastly more expensive? Well, the natural here's this is another lucky thing for our customers and for us who like to drink natural wines and a lot of it. Natural wines are pretty inexpensive, particularly for a handcrafted fine wine product. The reason they're inexpensive is because they're hard for the natural winemaker to sell. Oh my gosh. That's because right. nobody knows what they are or who they are. They're virtually impossible to sell in America. Here's how Americans buy wines from advertising campaigns. Uh-huh. 
right? Brands they know, right? And so the same reason, same way we buy much of our food source and much of the things we buy. We love Polo or we love this or we love that brand. Right. right? Oh, yeah. They're paying LeBron James $9 million a year to drink vitamin water. So that affects the price of the, the right. product. So, so these, these natural winemakers have no way to sell their wines because if they sold wines to you know, a bottle shop or to some retail outlet, somebody walk in, wouldn't have any idea what it is, right? And, and they're not going to get any ratings either because the way uh, the wines are made, like nobody's going <laughs> to rate them. This one's bland and boring. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> and so so it's, it's, it, is, it is somewhat plain and boring to the dead palate. Right, right. But to the palate that is alive, there's this nuance of sophisticated flavor and clean. And the, what we'll talk about tonight when we drink some wine, the minerality. You can taste the earth. You taste the rock. You can taste the. You can smell on the nose the aromatics. You can you can smell the 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 minerality, right? The 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 crushed stone, the white stone, the 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 shells. You know, in much of in much of Europe and the wine regions where you have these valleys, five million years ago oh. was an ocean. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like what shells? Oh, yeah, those yeah, shells. Yeah, those shells the from the ocean that shells. used to be there five million years ago. Full of ago. minerals and right. good and stuff. The, that you so need. you can taste the salinity, you know, the salt in in the wine. It's not salty, but there's a salinity. Mm. We'll we'll investigate this thoroughly when we do a tasting later. And and Todd wants you to clean up your diet at the same time because this is part of the experience. It is. I mean, yeah. a clean diet, clean food, clean wine. Well, I mean, it's just the same thing. But clean diet and 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 eating less in general. Mm. I only eat once per day, right? And so, okay, transition time for the show, man, because we got to talk about your, your keto fasting. thing and your your lifestyle here. Because not only are we uh, talking to the the wine leader here, but living the dream. You're you're, you're at the highest level of uh, sophistication of the keto diet. You're down to this once a day thing. So you're basically fasting 24 hours every day. Every day. <laughs> right. Uh, the reason we I should mention say that 20, I was... 23 and a half, because right. that doesn't mathematically add up, right, that means right. you're starving. So you're having one meal, it's an evening meal. It's in, the, it's in the evening. I think there's a lot of, I think there's science, and I, you know, I think, you know, Rob Wolf talks about this, and, and I agree with this in theory. I think there's a very fine case to be made for eating your one meal a day. At lunch or or mid afternoon, and not uh, eating again. I think there's really solid science around oh, that. Oh, jeez! I mean, Art Devaney says um, we are most human when we're not eating, Absol- not when we're eating. No That's question about we're, it. Or optimizing our brain function, immune function, cellular repair, detoxification, internal. And uh, that's a autophagy. I mean, if, the, if the, we did this show seven years ago, people would be like, "What a bunch of idiots!" What do you mean? But now it's they're getting a lot of support that in a fasted state is when we're at our, when we're at our best. No question about it. But but my point was going to be that that this relationship between when we do eat our one meal and and bedtime, right? So, you know, I think super purists would say that the best time to eat your one meal is probably two or three o'clock in the afternoon. The problem and why that doesn't work for me personally is that I also drink a bottle of wine uh, at the same time. And so I'm a wine lover and I love to drink wine and I love the health benefits that I believe wine imparts for me. And so for me as a wine drinker, I eat my single meal about six o'clock at night, between Mm -hmm. six and seven at night. And then I don't eat again until I go to, until the next night. Right. And I don't eat again late into the night. So I eat my meal and then I'm done. I don't eat Mm -hmm. anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so the, I'm the not wine eat- consumption is. Uh, carrying on a little longer than the meal it will it will generally i'll generally drink wine until probably about nine o'clock but you're not banging any of those chemicals so you're probably processing it just fine and um well i don't you know when i first met mark sisson i mean he didn't want to hear anything about my wines he said i've stopped drinking red wine it wakes me up in the middle of the night i feel like shit i can't you know i'm done with that and i was like no dude i can change your life he's like i love red wine can't do it i'm not interested this went on thanks though yeah, yeah, yeah. This went on for a while, and then finally, I got him to try them, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, you're right. This is completely different." And so, uh, and he's been a long advocate, and and uh, and has endorsed our wines for a couple of years. But so it's, but the reason I went to the intermittent fasting thing was because we eat too much and too often, right? And when we have a dead palate, see the reason, like when we eat at a dinner table, we often just order. Lots of stuff for the table and eat as a community. Sometimes it's getting one or two bites each of food. So when we eat one dish and we eat have this big, massive entree kind of concept, once we get through three or four bites, we're not really tasting anything new and exciting anymore, right? So when we eat as a community and we're eating one or two bites, we order mm-hmm. 10 things for the table and we're all tasting things, then we're having this cornucopia of taste experiences, right? As opposed to kind of getting weighted down with one taste over and over and over again, right? And so it's it's just, we think a lot about taste. And so, you know, when you only eat once per day, you, 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 you do have, you know, a greater relationship with flavor, you know. And I imagine sensation. you appreciate your the heck out of your meal I'm since not you haven't hungry. eaten in a while. Yeah, I'm not ravaged or anything because yeah. I'm in ketosis and... Yeah. And uh, I, I'm never hungry when I eat. I eat because I love to eat. I love because I love flavor and taste. I don't eat because I'm hungry. You know, I mean, most people who are on a ketogenic diet and most of the people here who are ketogenic, uh, I work with 20 other people and probably 16 or 18 of them are pretty seriously ketogenic. But most of them are on the lean gains method, so they eat twice a day, generally mm-hmm. around 2 in the afternoon and again around 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, and I know you've probably heard this, people who are in ketosis will tell you, the ones who eat twice a day, that they oftentimes forget to eat lunch because mm-hmm. you're just not hungry. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they get distracted with something, they just don't eat and they forget. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, gosh, it's 4 o'clock, I haven't eaten, right? Because you just because being in ketosis just suppresses your hunger. So yeah. I don't eat at night. And I, I also do extended fasting. I experimented this past week with eating every other day. Uh-huh. So I would eat a day, skip a day, eat a day, skip a day, eat a day, right? And then I experiment with five to seven day extended fast, typically once a quarter. And again, I, I'm not hungry during the fasting. Are you psychologically? Are you, are you wine? Or are you just drinking? No, 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 no. Water total only. fast. No water. Wow. For five to seven yeah, days. Yeah, water only. Wow, man, this guy's holding um, out. Yeah. It's I, but again, I don't find it difficult. If you're in ketosis, doing extended day fast is not difficult. Yeah. You're just not hungry. Now psychologically, it's like when I went to eating once per day off of the twice per day. There's a psychological challenge that I think took me probably a, about a month, you know, to get past the psychological desire to to eat. Or the you know, you know the previous habit I find is tough to you're establishing a new uh, routine or some new guidelines, and pretty soon they become automatic behaviors, and you don't think about it. 
and you don't worry about it, but that transition sometimes can be difficult for people just because they're used to it, not even because they're hungry. Because you don't mess around doing this Todd White stuff at home, listeners, please, until you have, as Mark Sisson says, built that metabolic machinery right. so that you're really, really good at burning fat. You've been doing this ketosis experiment four for... Four years. Four years. Right. Before wow. it was fashionable. Right. You were the new guy. We, <laughs> well, I mean, it was in, inside the biohacking community, you know, if and, and we we're kind of fanatic biohackers always experimenting with different things it, in the bio in the biohacking community you know there was a fringe of talk about ketosis and there was some early research coming out but only really published among kind of nerds and geeks and biohackers you know and there was emerging research coming out but one thing was for sure is that you know is that it was very effective for losing weight for most people and I had experimented with it to break through a weight loss plateau. Oh, yeah? So this is four years ago? You, you went into this with the ambition to lose, lose some excess well, body What fat. I thought was that last pesky five pounds or ten pounds, I was already pretty lean. I had been low-carb for many, many years. Oh. Uh, but, uh, but, and I also had been following the kind of the four-hour body with Tim Ferriss some, which advocates for an early breakfast and, um, and a cheat day and... You know, just, you know, I had been kind of bouncing around and I had this, I guess, maybe seven, what I thought was five to 10 pounds of just that last kind of thing I wanted to break through and had never been able to break through. And that was actually, it ended up, I lost 22 pounds from my high. So actually my body needed to lose more weight than I thought. Wow. And, um, and now I've weighed the same within a pound or two, except when I do extended fasting. I do lose some additional weight there, but it creeps back up over time. I weigh the same thing within one or two pounds year round. Uh, uh, listeners, uh, this guy's Rip City. Just since since we don't have video <laughs> here, and uh, you're how old are you now? Ooh, fifty-seven. Okay, so you look, yeah. you know, forty-four yeah. or something. Yeah, nice to say that. I mean, and full of energy and all that, eating once a day. And what's your fitness routine? Because obviously, you're you're keeping in shape beyond just eating healthy. Resistance training every other day, mm. uh, minimum effective dose, very high weights, low reps. Mm. I don't do generally more than three or four reps of a ninety, of a ninety percent one rep max. Whoa. Um, so. Like a deadlift, squat, what are you doing, bench press? Just all over the board. Oh, some man. even vanity moves, some curls, which have no <laughs> vanity moves. Have have no therapeutic benefit, but uh no real no real value in the, the world of, of uh powering strength, but they they are some some vanity moves. Uh so just all kinds of various I try and, you know, keep a constantly changing regiment of of different weight moves, but very high weight, very low rep. Typically three sets, uh, typically three reps, and then uh, I'm not trying to get bigger. I want to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to fight atrophy mm-hmm. with aging. So mm-hmm. we're either moving up or down. We're never standing still on the ladder. So I'm just trying to keep moving up. You know, doing balance work, doing uh, uh, cardio, uh, high intensity training, ten to twenty minutes of high intensity. Usually twenty minutes. Today I did ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, going up to my maximum heart rate for one minute, then mm-hmm. down for one minute, up for one minute, down for one minute. Uh, there's a ton of research showing, as you know, you've written about it, that high-intensity training is um, is showing 
you know, virtually all the same cardiovascular benefits as extended endurance training, only you don't have to put as much time into it. Mm-hmm. I also find it more enjoyable than endurance training because I'm only having to go up for one minute and then I get to rest. And Art Devaney talks a lot about this variability in, in, uh, in, uh, in cardio training. I also practice from time to time uh, Mark Sisson's recommendation of uh, steady state uh, longer term. I just did a hiking or something. Hiking, low intensity, running, aerobic, yeah, low intensity uh, run. I run a lot. I'm a I'm a long distance runner because it's it's the way I see the world. Hmm. I travel all over the world to some amazingly beautiful places, and running is how I see a city. Um, you know, I love the old towns and cities, you know, the classic parts of European cities, which are typically not very large because people either right, walk we don't realize, or, like, or, I ran around and saw Los Angeles. No, you no, didn't, no, 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 no. But if you run around Rome, I remember when I... Or uh, Paris, even. Right. You can see yeah. much of the most important part of Paris just by running. Or, yeah. or uh, and So I see much of the world. I just did a 16-mile run in the desert last week. I was at my speaking and pouring wine at Mind Body Green and place called Dove Mountain, Arizona, and I actually went out, left at 6 a.m. to do a, it's in the mountains, to do a nine-mile desert mountain run, and mm. I took a wrong turn on the map, and the nine miles turned into 16 miles, Oof. and uh, and a lot of sun heat by the time it was all over, yeah. but uh, I would never set out to do a 16-mile desert run, but uh, I got one anyway, and uh, so I got to see a lot of Arizona desert in the mountains. Uh, so even around this uh, workout, even these intense workouts in the gym, they're not, you're not combining any uh, calorie ingestion in order to recover any of that stuff that's talked about frequently about these strategies where, wow, you just burned a bunch of calories. Now you're going to go back to your 24 hour fast. Well, for me, and then this is, I'm, you're, you're know a lot more about all this than I do, but one of the things that I am uh, seeking to achieve, because I get this question a lot about eating once a day, would you feel like you get enough calories? I'm actually interested in calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. So calorie restriction is one of the only known proven pathways to extending longevity and health span. And so I'm not, if I get less calories, and I typically, let's talk, take out the few calories I drink from wine, but just from food, I probably don't consume more than twelve or 1,500 calories a day in the food that I eat, and then I get some calories from drinking wine. But fewer calories in my world is better. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe it contributes to anti-aging, longevity. I know when I adapted a ketogenic diet and adapted a much lower and when I adapted a more strict fasting schedule, my appearance, and when we get to dinner, I'll show you a picture of me five years ago, my appearance dialed back in terms of my, in terms of my physical aging and my appearance in aging. You know, loss, you know, a the big loss of inflammation is yeah. huge. Even in young people that I work with who are in their 20s and were already ripped and in great shape, and, but when they went keto, you can see a huge difference in their face. Hmm. You know, they just lose that inflammation. Hmm. That uh, so you know, we're, inflammation is another, you know, is another area of focus for me. I mean, I'm constantly seeking methods and and uh, and diet to reduce inflammation, and certainly calorie restriction reduces inflammation. 
right? It's just sometimes seems like a tough challenge, especially for the fitness athletic type to, you know, optimize recovery while we're trying to bank well, I think if people are trying to put size on, on if people yeah. are trying to gain mass, they're going to have to have, and they're going to have to take more calories. Right. That's not your goal. That's not my yeah. goal. My goal yeah. is strength, not mass. Yeah. And longevity. And longevity yeah. and anti-aging. Yeah. Is uh, and drinking more wine. Where are we headed from here with the business? It's grown like crazy in a very short time. I mean, it's it's relatively how young is when did you start this? Uh, late 2015, mm -hmm. business has grown 300x in revenue since then. So we're so what you're doing is you're sourcing these fabulously dry farm, all natural, chemical, sugar-free wines, um, and distributing them uh, only online. So we buy them in Europe from the farmer. Uh huh. We get them on a container. We bring them across the ocean. We put them here in our warehouse, and then we. Uh, there's a whole process and protocol that each wine has to go through all of our farming and winemaking protocols, first of all. And then after that, then the taste aesthetic has to agree with our palate. Not all natural wines taste great. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Because they haven't been sterilized, so some of them are quite funky and weird. Mm. Right? And so and we don't buy those wines. Mm. So it has to meet our taste aesthetic. Then we send it to lab. And then we get our lab reports back. Where's the lab? We have one here in Napa, one in France, and one in Italy. That's an independent lab. It's an independent certified. So you just hire them to. They bring actually a do wine. T they do lab yeah. testing for wineries all throughout Napa Valley. Yeah. And yeah. same thing in Italy and France. These are enologists. These are wine chemists. They 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 work for winemakers, not doing the same test we do right. in the way They're we do it. Totally different. They're test. looking at totally different yeah. criteria. Yeah. But these are wines that are there to support the wine industry. Right. And but they're looking for completely different things than we're looking for generally. You know, they don't like when we talk to a winemaker about alcohol levels, many of them just look at us and they're like, well, what do you mean? What's wrong? What, what do you have against alcohol? I mean, it's like, well, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, we think wine is we think that alcohol, not wine, but we think alcohol is toxic and poisonous. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's been shown, as you know, you've written and done research moderate doses of alcohol have been shown to be very effective in reducing mortality. Excessive alcohol has also been effective in showing that it grows cancer, right? And so we, and it also is very negative for our brain health. Moderate doses of alcohol are very, very positive for brain health. Polyphenols in wine are very positive for brain health. And, and, and here's the most positive thing for brain health where wine is concerned, where natural, whole, clean, low alcohol wine. When we, when we serve wine at the dinner table as we will tonight, when we drink wine together as a community, around the table with friends and family, new friends, old friends, alcohol, this is another very, very positive effect for our brain. Alcohol elevates our euphoria. Mm. It expands our creative expression in low doses. It lowers down that window of vulnerability. It allows us to know each other a little bit better. Wine creates the expression of love. It opens our heart. It opens our spirit. This is good for our brain, right? When we, when we spread more love, when we engender more love in our life, this has amazing benefits to our, to our brain and our spirit. 
right? And so I don't drink during the daytime. I don't recommend anybody else drinks during the daytime. I don't drink at lunch. We don't taste wines here in the daytime, as mm. would be customary in the wine business. Wine people drink all day long. That's when they sell wine. We don't permit wine people to come here. If a wine person wants to meet with us, they have to have dinner with us because mm. that's the only time we drink, right? And so, um, but at that, as you'll, as we will experience together tonight, laughter and and our social connection and our our openness and vulnerability and our heart just opens up, and wine elevates the spirit in that way. The right wine with the right alcohol dose and the right people. Well, the people help too. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, but but you can get friendly with about anybody with wine. Hey, good point. Um, you may know the president doesn't drink. And my grandmother always said, you never recommend. trust a man that doesn't drink. Okay, well, <laughs> then I'm going to start drinking tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plunge in. Hey, yeah. Well, you should, you should. What a great way to, to finish. That's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Todd White, thanks for spending time. And I, I do want to book you right now. We have to do a whole nother show. On the culture here. I thought that's what we were talking about today. What happened? The hiring process, the company culture. It's an absolutely one-of-a-kind place, this dry farm. I thought that's why you came. That's why I came all this way. I mean, how how do we... I I didn't know we were doing wine. wine. We got into wine with Brad Kearns, the the amateur, the novice. So I I, I got all educated now. Hopefully the listeners, too. Hopefully you're going to drink some of this fine wine tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. My my girlfriend's going to have a great time tonight, big wine connoisseur. But the bad news is... After you hear this podcast, uh, you're going to be tossing or giving away a lot of this junk food that is coming the fancy label and the high price. What about that, uh, that that pricing thing? Is it BS then? When you're going in and looking at the $9 wine, the $59 wine, to me it's like, what's the difference? And you're saying that the, you, the stuff is not cleaner. It's mm, still got the additives, the chemicals, the high sugar. It does. But here's the thing. You're not going to buy a drinkable wine product much under fifteen dollars. Okay, so anything under fifteen is just crap. Well, well I'm, on I'm, top I'm, of I'm crap. I wouldn't say. I'm, I'm just. This is a general guideline. Okay. Here's the thing: whether you pay hundred and fifty dollars a bottle or fifteen dollars a bottle, you're going to be drinking additives. Period. <laughs> End of story. The question is how much and which ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be drinking additives with either one of them. And all around, all along the range, unless it's naturally made additive free, mm-hmm. which is virtually, we're the largest buyer of natural wines in the world, and natural wines are wow. very very difficult to find. I mean, we got in the business because we couldn't find them. There's only a handful of markets where you can find a little bit at retail in very specialty places: San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, a little bit in Chicago. Um, these, these boutique outlets are selling some natural wines. Yeah. yeah, but it's a very, very, very small. There's only one natural wine retailer in San Francisco, and he's in a building that's about 300 square feet, uh-huh. right? And all he sells is natural wines. Mm. But it's very, very rare. In in New York, there's probably three. Uh, there's half a dozen natural wine bars. All they sell are natural wines. Um, our favorite one is called Ten Bells in New York. Mm. Uh, another favorite in New York is in Brooklyn called Four Horsemen. Uh, but so in New York, there's a handful of wine bars that are natural wine bars. There is a handful of retailers. Your audience uh, can download an app called Raisin, Raisin, the natural wine app. And it's the best thing out there that, that, really, um, that really helps you find 
where any natural wine retailer or wine bar would be in a city, but they're just across the nation. They're only going to be in a handful of mm-hmm. really progressive large markets. Other than that, the most dependable, and even then, you're not getting lab tested. You're not getting mm. all of our quantifications. Mm. If you want to get, if you want to get all of our quantifications, and if you want to get, you know, a reliable, dependable source for delicious natural wines, it's Dry Farm Wines. That's the only place you can get it. Dryfarmwines.com. That's it. That's and we it. can we can see your, how you guys party on the on the YouTube site with those videos. Incredible we, stuff we up there. Do, we do like to party. In fact, with keto food. And extended fasting. Go go check these guys out. You will be captivated. And thank you so much for spending the time, Todd. Come back and let's talk about culture. I thought that's why you were coming we here today. We will be back so for that crazy. in no time. Thanks for listening. More to come from Dry Farm Wines. Well, I hope you enjoyed my wonderful conversation with Todd White of Dry Farm Wines. They're doing some great stuff. And I don't know how much more enthusiastic of an endorsement you can get than from someone who says he hates wine and doesn't drink, but says this stuff is pretty darn good. So if you enjoy wine and are concerned about your health and the manipulative corporate advertising that's packaging up processed crap and presenting it as fine wine, whew, Maybe it's time to turn the corner and get real and get some natural, dry, sugar-free, chemical-free wine. They'll do all the work for you with their carefully selected vendors across Europe, people who have been producing wine for generations the right way, the natural way, hand-picked bottles all arranged and coming to your door when you join their membership club. All the wine bottles for a fair price of $22. No marketing different labels and different stories as Todd talked about. Yeah, go check them out at dryfarmwines.com slash Brad Kearns. Hey, it's like an affiliate page and you will get your first bottle for a penny to try it out. You can't lose. Go check it out. I care about your wine drinking health and you should too. Go check out dryfarmwines.com slash Brad Kearns. I want to talk about a product called Real Salt, the finest natural mineral sea salt you can find coming straight to you from an ancient underground salt deposit in central Utah, left there by the pristine ancient sea that covered North America millions of years ago. I first bought this product, thank you, L. Russ, Primal Blueprint Podcast, and it actually tastes great. I can't believe this when we're talking about salt, but it adds to the flavor value of your meal. Why is salt so important? Jeez, we've heard our whole lives about watch your salt intake or you get high blood pressure. Oh my goodness, it's such baloney, especially those of us in the ancestral health movement eating healthy diet without all those ridiculous high sodium processed foods. Guess what happens even when you transition from regular high-carb diet over to ancestral style or even keto, what happens is you reduce the inflammation and water retention in cells throughout your body because finally you're healthy. You're not triggering systemic inflammation and battling the adverse effects of consuming gluten and sugar and having it mess with your autoimmune function and your intestinal lining. So with that reduction in inflammation and water retention when you cut out crappy foods, oh, you look great, you lose 
lose all that fat weight in your face and your friends say, hey, did you lose weight? You look great. You say, yeah, thanks. But guess what? It's time to increase your consumption of healthy salt. And I'm not talking about that ridiculous junk food that's iodized salt. So if you're shaking a white salt onto your food, you are consuming a product that has been bleached and stripped of its natural trace minerals. Real salt, on the other hand, is completely unrefined and full of supporting natural minerals and flavor the way salt was meant to be savored. And what a cool company. These guys are so chill. I met them in person at Paleo FX. They're committed to the greatness of the team, the employee. Listen to their philosophy. We believe that profit is the means, but that the end goal is human development and life enhancement. We're committed to improving the community and promise to provide continual growth opportunities for our employees. Realsalt.com, wherever fine foods are sold, support these guys, get your diet right, add more salt. It's delicious. Thank you. Just visit the homepage at bradkearns.com, scroll through all that speed golf stuff, and you'll see wonderful presentations for all the video courses, including exciting trailer videos. You can click right over to the course, use that discount code BRAD20 for 20% off your enrollment. Thank you for listening to this lengthy ad, and I appreciate you listening to the show also. (laughs) 